0: Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to the Aaron Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Blake Aaron, joined alongside my brother and co-host, Brett Aaron, and we've got an exciting show uh, planned for you all today. We're going to be talking with the hunting public's Zach Farinball. It's um, going to be exciting show, Brett. We've been wanting to talk to these guys for, for a long time and, and kind of pick their brains, so... Uh, We're going to have a good show in store for you. We want to let you know um, that the show is brought to you by Gray's Lawn and Landscape, LLC, Hunter Gray. Um, Give him a call, 270-566-0632. They do mowing and landscaping, tree work and cleanup. They have uh, free estimates, and they are fully insured. So give Hunter Gray a call at 270-566-0632. And with that, Brett, we're going to go ahead and give Zach a call up here and uh, get the interview started. We're excited about it. Sounds good. Let's give him a call. All right, folks, we're back here on the podcast, and we're now happy to be joined by the hunting public, Zach Farinball. Zach, uh, how are you doing this evening? Doing pretty well. How about you guys? We're doing good. We're excited to talk to you. I know uh, Brett and I have watched your, your all's content for a long time, and uh, we learned a lot from you guys. And we kind of want our listeners to uh, to learn kind of what we've learned from you all as well. Cool. Yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for following me with the stuff. Yeah, no problem. So, Zach, for a lot of our listeners are, are in the South Central Kentucky area and are in the state of Kentucky. Most of them probably do know you, but for those that don't, why don't you you know, tell them just a, a brief summary of who you are and what the hunting public is. All right.
2: Originally, uh, Ohio, Western Ohio, kind of a flat farmland area. Uh, when I was in college, I went to moved to Southeast Ohio and hunted the hills down there. And I guess I've been hunting public land since about the age of twelve, I believe, when I first started hunting public land. Um, and then I moved to Iowa when I was twenty-two and been there i guess a resident of there since but then i guess a few years after moving to iowa we started the hunting public which is myself and other friends that hunt public lands travel around our main our main thing is traveling around on public land i guess um and just try different stuff and try to learn different areas
3: one of the things that we felt you know a lot of the hunting industry or
2: media was doing was just limiting themselves to you know kind of the best areas and while we do live in Iowa we don't hunt there all season we like to go out you know out of state and do different stuff and I like the challenge of new areas
1: I guess but yeah. I was you know, the a, other thing I was a pretty good place things, to start but I was just gonna say I was a pretty good place to start if you're going to be hunting places yeah yeah it's, <laughs>
2: Iowa's Iowa's pretty fun. It's fun to hunt there but like I said, I, I really for us the biggest thing now is just we're into the travel so much that, you know, Iowa's kinda of secondary. Like for example, the turkey season I only was in Iowa for three days. The turkey season, a couple of those days were raining and you know I only used I only filled one of my tags, like could have stayed there and hunted stuff I know, but you know, it's just
0: you like Plenty to get to out you like Try to get out and go on different different terrains and, and different states and places i understand that the yeah. ad- adventure adventure every every hunt different adventure oh yeah
1: and i know I, yeah. i've i've seen this on one of your all's episodes you all talk about how you want to go to these different places and kind of be a model for how maybe other public land hunters that don't have the opportunities for private land to want to go out there and kind of see how you do it on different types of land and different areas of the country, so they can, you know, maybe have a little bit of information on what to do once they get there. Yeah, I mean that was that was going to be one one final thing I guess with with the hunting public.
2: You know, our main goal is to help other people get into the sport of hunting. You know, it's a thing where. If, it's a dying thing to a certain degree. You know, there's lots mm-hmm. of different opportunities for things for people to do these days. And, you know, we feel like hunting is a really great opportunity to get outside and over around. And, you know, we just want people to get into the sport, stay the sport. So, you know, we feel by, you know, showing our efforts on public land and, you know, showing some success on public land, we're hoping to show people that, hey, the opportunity still there to get out there even if
1: you don't have property or have permission whatever it may be but you know kind of just helping helping get people into it and give them confidence to get out there and try it yep that that's a a very good answer now we're going to kind of that gives us a good chance to transition into some of our deer hunting questions um which i know you guys got the deer tour coming up um, which you can talk about Mm -hmm. a little bit later here in, in a couple months What are you doing right now to get ready for deer season as the hunting public? I mean, Brett and I and our family, we hunt a little bit of uh, private land um, or a little bit of public land. We've recently, the last couple of years, acquired some private land we've been concentrating on a little bit. But for us as private land hunters at this time, you know, we're putting in food plots, you know, checking trail cameras, running those mineral sites, things like that. But what should a public land hunter especially be doing right now to get ready for, for season?
2: Um, I guess, I guess the biggest thing that I'll put out there is that if you're, if you're around deer, you know, as far as any hunter, I think you should just be thinking about what they're doing and, you know, just trying to understand, you're
3: always scouting to no a certain degree, just keeping tabs on deer. Um, not specific deer or anything,
2: just deer in general, seeing what they're feeding on, seeing what, you know, habits they're making checking different things that can fluctuate, like water levels, stuff like that, especially this time of the year. So, for example, right now, you know, I'll go out and do some scouting, but my scouting isn't necessarily, like, trying to find the best bedding area at this point. Um, I like to just scout just to be out in the woods and get a gauge on what's changed. So, let's say I've been to an area, uh, whether that be Ohio or Iowa, for example, an area that you know, an area that I've been to a lot. Maybe I haven't been there for a couple seasons. I think, hey, you know, I'm in mean, the area. I'm going to go check it out. I'm not going in there to see what's changed as far as, like, where I think the deer are going to be better. I'm going in to check, you know, what what different, you know, habitat types have gotten grown up, what trees have fallen down. So you know, what's what has changed about the understory in some certain areas? You know, it, for me, this time of the year has just, getting out exploring and, and keeping fresh tabs on everything. I think that differs from guy to guy in our area. Um, some people put a little bit more weight down in our area, our group, sorry. Um, you know, some people put a little bit more weight on you know, summer scouting. I currently I like to summer scout. I just don't put uh, I'm not looking for deer sign. It you know, I'm not looking for fresh deer. I'm looking for maybe some old deer sign or just trying to find areas that are hard to get to. Because I just think so much can change, and I have some sort of an expectation in my head, you know, for what
1: I'm looking for in season anyway, does that make sense. Definitely. A lot of of things can change from from summer into, you know, whenever you actually get out there and, and you get to hunt. I know behaviors change. I know they go back to a lot of things that, you know, from the summer, but... You just never know once that, you know, time comes. Yeah,
2: and I, I mean, one thing that I think is uh, a an, another interesting, I uh, am kind of one one step backwards, you know, the off, just kind of generalizing the offseason. You know, any – I also am not a huge fan of, like, putting too much weight on what I find in uh, February and March either. I know that's, like uh, – Kind of against the rule book or whatever you know. What <laughs> so like everybody, everybody tells you toys. to do, it anyway. Right? You know what? Here, and here's my reason. It's pretty simple. It's just that you're looking at all of the deer signs from the whole past fall. So you're looking at signs from September 1st, you know, roughly when the deer shed their velvet, all the way till you know end of January when they shed, shed their antlers. Like that is a lot of time that you're looking at in March or February that, you know, you're trying to guess when that sign was laid down. I'm not saying it's bad to go out on scale. scout. You should always go scout. That's the best time to go into a new area because you can see it, you know, there. You can see it at its, I guess, most open time. But if you were going in there, let's say, in February and you find a great rub line and at the end of the rub line, you feel like you find a bedding area that's about to use it. Well, I used to fall into this trap all the time where I'd get, i get, all summer, man, i sit there and i think, oh, hell yeah, I can't wait to get in here and, you know, get on this rub line. It's gonna be, you know, October 1st or whatever. Maybe I've made up a day in my mind anyway. I've made up some date that I think it's gonna be on. And I go in there, and I set up, and I sit there the whole, the whole hunt, and then I don't have any, you know, I don't see anything. And then I look back on that and I thought, man, what a waste of time. You
3: know, mm-hmm. if I would have just went into it with a more open mind, check sign, and just continue to keep moving and not just going
2: with the mentality of I'm going to set up, like I did not waste it a whole hunt. So they kind of now kind of come back, bring it back to, to now and just generalize all of scouting season, which is any off-season time, you know, You're going in and you're looking at the things that have changed, you're kind of learning new areas, just general. But then when you go in the hunt, you're taking note of some of the sign that you found, and you're just popping in in a strategic way, checking if it's hot or not. And if it's not hot, you just keep moving to the next bedding area, you know, within the day, within the hunt. So that way you're not sitting a whole hunt, wasting a bunch of time set up on sign that you thought looked good. You know, eight months ago, who cares? That doesn't—that doesn't matter to me anymore. I used to—I used to put too much weight on that, wasted a bunch of time, and you know, really, we're—you know—a lot. Not everybody has all the time in the world. Like, we're—we're we're trying to help people become super efficient.
3: I feel yeah. one thing that you know, it's just what everybody's telling you to do is not really that efficient. You know, don't be afraid to go in and. hunt hunt and scout, you know,
2: be
0: active. Be aggressive. I I think, yeah. I think not that Not even just be
2: aggressive, not even just be aggressive, just be actively, you know, be actively scouting, like, for example, you know, if there's, let's say there's two or three bedding areas in a specific piece. Like, I'm going to go into that piece, push my bow, may, maybe a tree stand, maybe a ghillie suit, maybe whatever, you know, maybe no plans at all, but that up ever. You know, I'm going to go to that first bedding area and I'll take it to that first bedding area none of the rubs are opened up. There's no fresh scrape, whatever. So I move to the next one. Same deal. You know, maybe there's maybe there's a little bit better sign but not much but then I get back to that third bedding area and I'm like, okay, this is where all the deer are. So instead I've just, you know, stopped preventing myself from setting up on spot one, one full hunt, and then the next day, the whole hunt on area two just to get to three. Instead, I got there on day one.
0: Yeah. that makes sense? That, it makes perfect so sense. Like, so, like, I guess if you're a weekend
2: warrior type guy, you're hopefully just making yourself more efficient by hunting in that spot,
0: you know. I guess that's my take, huh? Well, that that makes perfect sense, Zach, and a lot of our listeners are, are your weekend warrior type hunters. I mean, we schedule our vacations uh, here, uh, to, to deer hunt, um, so we have a little bit more flexibility than, than the average Joe, I guess, but, but still, you bring up some good tactics, uh, there to, to maximize your success while you're in the woods, but, uh, uh so I guess we live here in, uh, South Central Kentucky, as we've mentioned earlier, and, and there's tons of public land around here, we've got Lake Cumberland, um, Green River Lake and Dale Hollow, just all right here together. Within, yeah, within a couple hours of each and, other. And there's plenty of plenty of public access. Um, we don't hunt it a whole whole lot, uh, just because we do have some um, access to public grounds. But I know that's where uh, that's where it started for my father. He used to public ground that used to be the only place where deer were. Uh, back when he started hunting. So he he hunted there. Um, but it's it's a lot of steep hills and thick thick big timber. Um, and you have to access it mostly by boat, climbing up <coughs> steep uh, steep banks. So I guess uh, for our listeners that that might want to get into public land hunting around here, how would you go about accessing this type of country?
1: that's a tough question for you i know since you've never seen it but i i figure you probably obviously would i know you guys are big on onyx so that's probably would you Mm -hmm. is that where you where you would start
3: yeah so i mean the first the first thing that i i
2: guess if i'm in any state the first thing that i'm gonna do to find public land is just you know use some sort of app or you know look through DNR website stuff like that i mean there's tons of different resources out there nowadays through the different apps and, you know, just simply talking to people that are, you know, working for the Division of Natural Resources can find these areas. But once I, once I start finding areas or ways to find them, for example, like I use, like, OnX, but if I'm looking at OnX, I'm going to look for, the first thing I'm looking for is how far away is the nearest big city or town? You know, for example, in Kentucky, if I'm looking at public land that's 15 minutes out of Louisville, mm-hmm. know that there's probably going to be a lot of hunters going to that from that city. So, not to say that, not to say that you should totally disregard that. I'm just saying for like a, a weekend hunt or, you know, a vacation type hunt where you can have a little bit more time to do it. I'm looking at maybe put a little bit more effort into driving, you know, looking at that type. I can tell that hey, it's gonna take me three and a half hours to drive here from my town, and then it's another you know two hours to the next town, you know, on the other side of it. Then I'm gonna know hey, it's probably not getting a ton of traffic from Dresden, you know. So a lot of times that's the starting point. You're looking, I'm looking for a low population area where there's just not a lot of people, you know, driving around along a lot of roads, on a lot of houses, at least for a given state and then from there just looking at those
3: ways that you know I can get creative with access whether that be by a boat or uh, biking
2: in uh, just hiking in general a little bit further than the next guy a lot of times can get you to where you need to be but I personally like to look for places that are really big really vast Um, a lot of the areas that you've explained i know from looking at them briefly on maps. You know, they're, they're big areas. That's the type of stuff that I, I like to hunt. I like to hunt big areas that I can, if I, I know that worst case scenario, I can always cut out legs or somebody. simply walk further than them. So that's what I'm drawn to as far as, as far as that goes. And then as far as hilly, you know, heavily timbered areas, not a lot of field or no field, uh, I think that intimidates a lot of people. I think that makes them feel like there's no place to start because of a number of different reasons, but I guess one thing I typically hear people say is, they just go wherever they want, there's no reason. They just will bed anywhere, they'll feed anywhere, you know, there's no crop field to draw from point A to B. And while that may seem true, it's not true. Uh, deer still need specific things, and there's still specific things that are, are going to draw them, you know, from point A to point B, it's just not going to be as defined or as, um, may, you know, may, maybe it won't be. It could be, but a lot of times it's not going to be, you know, as many deer going from one fixed heading area to a crop field. And you're not going to see those major trails, you know, that you would in maybe some more open farm country. Mm-hmm. But in the big timber, the factors are still there. the They want security. They want areas to take an escape. Be away from other hunters, and want a diverse, you know, vegetation that they can feed on, and then they need water. So once those three things, you look for those. Or a lot of times, I'm looking for those three things. And one easy way to do it, and it just kind of sounds silly, but you know, the more different habitat breaks you can see on the map, the more different like colors, even you know, where you've got a little bit younger forest maybe a, like a light green. And then a taller forest, it's like a dark green, and then you've got that mixed with a clear cut, whatever it may be, the more habitat diversity you get, the more likely deer are going to be there because it's going to have all those factors that they need. Same thing with turkeys as well. You know, turkeys need water and habitat diversity, so do deer, especially pick up. You know, you're going to find things up in areas where multiple
1: things come together. Yeah, we've heard you kind of preach on that uh, at the hunting public all the guys are talking about diversity and the habitat and just how important uh, that, that that can be to, to the animals out there. Yeah. I mean, it's it really is
3: a thing. That, I mean, I feel like you can hear a million times if, you think, if you're thinking
2: about it, but until you really start to pay attention to every single tree type, every single brushy, you know, vegetation type, grassy vegetation type, whatever it may be, like, in your area, like, until you start really paying attention to how much diversity there actually is, you know, I think it can continue to, like, you know, it can, t- can continue to be a tough thing to figure out, but, you know, once you really start to pay attention to it, you realize almost every time, you know, there's a huge, huge amount of diversity in an area that a mature buck
1: is living. Yeah. Well, that's... That's exactly kind of the answer we were looking for. But Zach, we're going to take just a quick uh, break here, and we'll be back with you just in a couple minutes. We're going to uh, ask you a couple more questions, and then we'll let you get out of here. Sounds good. All right, folks, we're back here with Zach Fahrenbaugh of the Hunting Public. Zach, we appreciate you for coming on. Like we said before, uh, we want to go ahead and ask you another question. Um, obviously, I know you got your guy's specialty is um, You know, public land hunting, but you all do have a little bit of private land, uh, you know, here and there with with some of your friends and and Aaron going back to his family farm. Um, This is something, I know you guys talk about not being afraid to really go in there when you're talking about a piece of public, but, and I know, you know, you guys are primary public land, but for somebody that, you know, we got a lot of listeners that hunt private land only, and, you know, being a super aggressive with public land, is it any different? Would you go at it any differently on private land, or what, what are your thoughts yeah. on that?
2: No, I mean, very, very slightly. Very, very slightly different. Not very differently. I would still end up being super
3: aggressive, so it would be more specific to, uh, you know,
2: exact conditions that I am. I mean, people. People listening might. I mean, I feel like for the most part, I've said this a million times, and you don't really hear too many people saying that they've changed. You know, the way they're doing things, and uh, it, it's frustrating because it's still the same animal, right? Mm-hmm. Like what we're doing on public land is the most aggressive way to hunt. I mean, I don't know what else. Like I, I try to bump bucks sometimes.
1: I've heard purpose, you. I've heard you especially. talk about that. <laughs> So, yeah, so, like, uh, we're hunting these areas
2: that, like, tons of other people can hunt, too. So, you know, when we're sitting here saying the bucks will not leave completely, like, you really should trust us when we say that, because they really won't. And it's not just Iowa. It's not just, you know, Kentucky. It's not just Ohio. It's not just Nebraska, whatever. Like, the more and more we talk to people, we go to these different areas, and count them like, they are not some mythical creature as soon as they step across the state line. Like they're still the same animal, and I guess the difference ultimately, if I can, I'm trying to put it together without straying off too much. But you know, here would be the main difference. If I had, let's just let's just say, I had a forty, and the first thing I'll say for me personally, I will never just have a forty to hunt. You know, I'll never. I'll never make that my situation. I understand if it is somebody's situation, but I, I, the way I like to hunt and I find it enjoyable, I just can never limit myself to one spot. But let's say, so for that so, so for that, being, with that being said, if I had 140, I would try to have 50 40s if I could. Or I'd have, mm-hmm.
3: you know, I'd have a couple fives. I'd have, you know, I'd hunt on two acres. I'd hunt on seven acres, but maybe an 80, but... You know, I
2: would try to get as many places as I could so that way I could find the way I wanted to because I find it to be the most effective way. Yeah. is let's say I have a 40 and there's one bedding area on it. The way that I would go about hunting that specific spot is I would... I, the first year that I hunted, I would run tail Um And I would try to be, you know, not very intrusive as far as hunting it, or not very intrusive as far as checking a trail camera. I would just want that trail camera out there on that 40 to gain info. To gain info basically telling me when the bedding area is most active for the next season. So, let's say I go through season one, I hunt my other spots mostly, but have a trail camera or two running on that 40 the whole season. Get done, and I look at the base, and I see there's a window on there that October through October 20th there's just a ton of buff movement on there in daylight like you know they're hitting the scrape outside of the bedding area which is telling me that hey that's the time that bending area is the most you know the most uh I guess active so then I pull my show cameras out of there that's all the info that I really want I don't I don't necessarily care about buck size. So I'm not looking for specific clip kind of thing I just know that that's the time frame when that bedding area is hot. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to hunt other spots at different times, you know, other areas that I have. But then as soon as that October 16th time frame comes around, the temperature drop hits within that little window that I can tell that they're, you know, using that air, bedding area the most. That's when I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to do everything I can to crawl as tight to
3: that bedding area or in the bedding area as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So,
2: you know, it's still the same move. It's just a more specific day where, on Papa Plan, you know, we'll just do it whenever. It'll be eighty-five degrees, and we'll crawl into a bedding
3: area with a pond. And, yeah. You know, because because we have some, we have nothing
2: to lose. Like we just go to the very next spot. But you know, on a place that's more fragile like that, you know, I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna hunt it aggressively. And if it doesn't work. Then you may get one more sit out of it, you know, within the next day or two if you if you're careful. But you know, if not, then I'm going to give it a break, hunt my other spot and then come back in during the rut, hunt that bedding area again during the rut. You know, and I guess I feel that there's there's just there's almost no point to bow hunting if you're going to sit back until the rut happens. Yeah. You know, if you want to sit back, it's not saying it can't work, and people people aren't successful doing something but it's like if you sit back and you're being careful you're still leaving your scent out there and the deer are still recognizing that but why not just go right for it because mm-hmm. it's not like if you bump them out of the bedding area they're going to go bed out in the open field because that's not you know because mm-hmm. that's not where your scent was that, you know what I mean by
0: that yeah, like yeah yeah if you bump sense. them out, <laughs> if you leave scent in the bedding area they're not just going to go bed where there's no bedding habitat because there was
2: because you put your sin in there, yeah, they may move to the next bedding area over, but a lot of times the next bedding area over
0: isn't very far away, right? And, and if it is
2: on the and, and if it is on the neighbors, they're not going to
0: leave for forever. I mean, they're just not, it's, it's right? Just, I'm, and that's it's something just, that's something that I've heard you guys talk about a lot is if if you bump a deer, well, so what? That deer won, you know it. Its bed served its purpose. You know, they set up there to avoid predators so uh-huh. that that's what's happened if, if you bump the deer they get out scot-free you know at, they're, they're going to come back because their their bed was effective now, i've heard you yep. all talk about that and yeah uh, that was kind yeah. of an eye-opener well, for me one, one thing one thing or one more example
3: that i'll say and this is, i mean this is just a uh, i mean i got tons and tons of examples but it's just the first one that came to mind so um, well, I'll use this, i use this, i use the Ohio an example because it'll, it'll
2: be, um, it'll be, uh, you know, closer to, to you guys and your listeners. So, like, I was in Ohio with my friend Ben this past season. We had these, these, uh, videos of the, mm-hmm. so, we went into it, we found a pot bedding
3: area that tons of deer and it, it tons of bucks, screws, and it, you know, it was just an open CRP
2: field, and one morning... My friend Ben and I are trawling in, and uh, long story short, short, he messed up and didn't get drawn on a buck. That came right to us. You know, came to like 10 yards, saw us. Just plain as day, saw us. Blew, took off running, bailed out of there. Didn't see him for the rest of the day. <laughs> Literally, guys, the very next day, we pushed up into that bedding area about 300 yards further. You know, at first light. So we swooped in the morning before a 300 yards to the east, and we moved 300 yards to the west the next morning, just deeper into the bedding area, and guess who we saw? Mm-hmm. You know,
0: they same, same thought. Yeah.
2: So, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that, you know, you, he, he may not use that same exact bed if you bump him. He may not use that same bed the next day. He might, too, but he might not. But if he did, that, if he isn't, he's somewhere there. He's not more than and he didn't just move three miles down on your neighbors and she'd never come back. And I and I say that I say that with hopefully giving people hope, you know, to hunt in a different way. Because I just it really is, it, it's irritating to me at this point in my hunting career to listen to the majority of hunting media telling you to hunt, to hunt in a way that basically is not hunting is avoiding your hunting area and never going in because then if that's the case then you know you're just never going to be aggressive you're never going to be in the right game and, and truly most hunting media is not realistic to the majority of us you know like what's going on in hunting media and they're telling you to do in the magazines and the you know the other videos out there like that's that's not relatable to me i don't have the opportunity to hunt the type of areas that you know, the people writing these things are are talented. So, you know, I just I guess I get frustrated because I just don't feel like it's the right thing at all. And I think that it's just because you know there's people that are hunting in Iowa that are telling you, you know, sit back on your food plot. And it's like to the, to the majority of us, it's like, well, what do you mean, what food
3: plot?
2: You know,
1: That's not relatable. Until a couple so, of years ago, guess, that was us. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. we're still learning yeah. and and kind of to your point about going in like brett and i have struggled normally i mean obviously our favorite time to hunt of the year is, is the rut because there's just nothing like it but we found over the last couple of years on the, the private uh piece that we hunt you know the deer are there early and we have an opportunity to probably go in and make a move on those deer early because they're active on you know scrapes and you know they're just around but we tend to, we tend to want to wait just because we want to hunt the rut. You know, we, it's like we just have to hunt the rut. And we will pass deer and just kind of sit back and I don't know what what's wrong with us. We just want to hunt the rut so bad and we'll we'll let them get by us and then the neighbor kills them, the deer move out, you know, they change their pattern, things like that. And I think that's one of the things that Brett and I have learned from, you know, watching the deer tour the last couple of years is, you know, if, if we have a deer, if we know, you know the deer's there and the signs there. This year, I think we're just going to go in and try and kill him. You know, because like you just we were just talking about. You know, if we do bump the deer, he's not going far.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, especially if you guys like hunting the rut anyway. If you bump them if you bump him out of a bedding area early season, like that's still their core general area. You know, like uh-huh. a three mile area that the buck's still going to be traveling during the rut. So, you know, I mean. I, I think, yeah, I, I just, I just think it's a, it's a huge misconception of being safe. It's Like, there's there's very specific times where deer are in bedding areas that, you know, one, you know, in October, they you know, they're a, a mature buck may be in four different bedding areas. You know, one about, or maybe three for a week apiece, just based off of his food source you know, he's going to bump around. He's going to move around a little bit. He's not just going to be in the same spot. So if you catch one on a pattern and you're quick to it, you can get him.
3: Mm-hmm. And I just think that, you know, a lot of people just may, are making the same mistake. They're saying, oh, I'll wait, I'll wait. So he's, he's for sure going to be active. Well, when the rut happens, man, they're all over the place.
2: Yeah. Like, that's really that's when you're, really the worst thing that you could do, in my opinion, especially if you're going after a specific, after a specific group of you know, I you know, I know a lot of people like to target specific gear, have a hit list or whatever, which I which I don't do. But if you're doing that, and you know you're you really want to shoot these specific bucks, then the worst thing you could do is wait till rut because by the time they're they may be. I mean, they, then they really are at a risk of getting shot by your neighbor on their own terms, not your terms. So mm-hmm. you might as well get aggressive on them when you got them on patterns, especially when you know where they're betting
3: early season, yeah. or late season too. Same deal, you know. If they're betting,
2: if they're bet- if you know where they're betting late season, it's the same play. There's two times of the year where it's very habitual betting, and that you know, or you can catch them on patterns based off betting that early and late, you yeah. know, during the rut, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then most people are talking about food source, food mm-hmm. sources early and late, but. You know, ultimately, that food source can change day to day. The bedding areas are less likely
3: to change
1: day to day. Yeah. Well, we got uh, one more question that I know that you have some thoughts on that I've heard you talk about in the past, yeah. and then we'll just have a couple of quick hitters and let you go. But yeah. With with a lot of the land that we hunt, both uh, public and private, around here, there's lots of hilly terrain, and I know you you hunted in Ohio where it's had that you know that same kind of terrain. Yeah. Talking about wind. It switches, it swirls, it goes up, The it pulls up our haulers on our private land. It's like we try to play the wind to the best of our ability, but we get in the stand and it's doing exactly the opposite of what we wanted it to. And and I, t- I know that is probably, if not the most important thing that you all do, it's one of the most important things that you concentrate on.
3: Yeah,
2: this is, this is a tough question and I haven't found a way to exactly answer it and my explain my whole thought process because you know it's very situational but mm-hmm. one thing
3: that
2: one thing that I think really started helping me is just thinking about the sun and how much sun makes you know air rise so for example let's say we've got let's just say we've got a valley and the valley runs north and south and your hillside that's on the east you know, east side of the valley that gets hit with sun at, at uh, or no, let, let me, let me back track that. Run north and south and we'll say the hillside on the west, you know as the sun rises in the morning mm-hmm. it's that east, or that west hillside. Do so you get a visual there?
0: Yeah, 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 we're with you. Okay,
2: so you got a valley north and south and your hillside on the west side of the valley is getting hit with that east rising sun. If it's a calm morning and that east or that west hillside is getting hit with sun, the air on that hillside is going to start to rise. So if you have a west wind, for example, that sun hitting
3: that hillside will make the air rise off the hill, and then the west wind will take it
2: right over the top of the valley. So on the other side of things, if you got no wind, you're just sense going to rise that off that hillside. So on the other on the other side of the, on the other side of the valley, though, all that, all that air in the morning that's not getting hit by sun is just going to sink down at the bottom because that cool side sinks. It's not rising; it's sinking. So that same hillside, that same west hillside, that is rising in the morning, where the air is rising off the hill in the morning that night, when the sun starts to set on the backside of the hill, the air is going to go back, drop back down towards the valley. So you've got to be thinking about how that thermal is going to be rising and falling, you know, based off of where that sunshine is. And once you start thinking about that, at least, it's going to put you in the game a little bit more. And it still takes a lot of experience and practice of just feeling the air current. Mm-hmm. But a lot of
3: times, you're getting a lot, like, You're actually getting a lot more consistent
2: wind than it seems if you can get in the right places just because the thermals are so strong now and they not last all day. You know, I think a lot of guys want to get into a tree stand before daylight in the rut and sit there all day. The wind never changes. The wind be in their face all day. Well, that's just not going to happen nine times out of ten, you know. A lot of times we'll go in and we'll sit for like two or three hours and we'll get up and we'll do something different because the wind's going to switch. The wind, the thermals are going to switch. It's not the wind switching; it's the thermal switching. You know, in hilly country, that is. So, you know, be thinking about where that sunshine is hitting, because you know, you watch, you, know, you watch that sunny hillside in the morning, and like steam is just rising. But then you look at the other side, where it's in the shade, and there's just frost. Mm-hmm. Well, that stuff on the frosty side, that stuff all drops, and the stuff on the hot side, all just rising you can play that wind a little bit based off that thermal for sure but a lot of times too it's not you know there's no there's really a stand unless you're just doing flat ground or on the, on a ridge top that so you're going to get a consistent all day wind mm-hmm. but if you just hunt those areas you're just doing what everybody else does and then you're not going to see you know a lot of big bucks because
0: right.
2: they you know they, they know that's where all the hunters want to sit because I mean that's
1: does that help at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, yeah. Brett and I, of course, we've learned from from watching you guys and listening to podcasts and watching, you know, everything else. You know, five years ago, I didn't know what a thermal was. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it it goes a long way once you start seeing how how they move, how it moves. And, and Brett's really, honestly, the, the one that turned me on to that. And it's something that we – we go out and we pay attention to every every single time.
0: Yeah, we're we're trying to do better at it. We're we're by no means experts, but uh, that's, that's why I you're either. that's why
1: you're on the phone, no. Zach. You're the expert. <laughs> we're, uh,
0: we're we're trying to trying to learn and get better at it every time we go out. But uh, I'll, I'll hit you with a few little quick hitters here, Zach. If you if sure. you don't care, um, yeah. I know you've hunted a lot of places and. Uh, Maybe you don't like to hunt the same place more than once very often, but uh, do you have a favorite place or state or farm to hunt?
1: This can go back uh, to when you were a kid, if you're anything like that, just anything at all.
2: Yeah, I, I guess I guess there's a little part of me that I, I just, I do like Ohio just because I like, uh, I like how diverse Ohio is, it's a pretty cool place. I mean, there's a lot of states that are pretty diverse, and to be honest, it's I don't wouldn't necessarily say that's my favorite, for the, but for the sake of saying that, I'd say it's definitely up there. You yeah, know? I really liked. I really, really, really like turkey hunting in Southern Ohio. Like that, still might be my
0: favorite terrain to hunt turkeys in. So mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe yeah. not. Maybe not a perfect answer, but it's no, not a good no that's <laughs> that's fine. Um, so you guys, the hunting public, um, obviously you hunt on the public ground a lot. So so what makes hunting on public land and public land in general so important to you guys is there something uh, in particular or are you just what what is behind that
2: uh, ultimately I mean for, for, I think like on a personal standpoint you know
3: like what what I think we just all like to venture a lot and seeing something new and
2: we really like travel Mm-hmm, so, yeah. you know, hunting there, these public areas just gives us access to that. But, like, for our goals as far as, you know, Americans in general, uh, public land is important to us because, you know, we feel like it's something that, you know, we should we should have to allow yeah. people to get out and recreate and do things outdoors, whether that be camping, you know. Rock climbing, whatever it may be. If we don't have public land, we yeah. we lose a lot of opportunity to do a lot of that stuff because it's just not easy to gain access on places. And you know, we feel like if public land starts going away, we're just gonna, you know, sadly gonna lose
0: a lot of people getting outside
2: doing
0: stuff. So I, I, agree. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Um, and personally, I, I appreciate what you all are doing and and trying to to get the knowledge out there and um you know the conservation and everything as a as an yeah. outdoorsman you know i i certainly do appreciate it and and want to extend my thanks for you all doing that but uh yeah i guess zach now um uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up is there anything else you'd uh you'd like to say before we do i uh, no, i guess
2: well my 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 biggest thing if you're a whitetail hunter man you're, like, sitting in a position where, like, dang, every year I'm close, but I'm not quite <laughs> getting around the buck I want to. I'm,
3: I'm, I'm,
2: you know, I feel like I'm in a rut.
1: I
0: just raised my break hand. Out of
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> you just raised your hand. Yeah.
2: Break, break out of your rut. Do something that seems completely foreign to you. And I would say chances are you're going to end up having a lot more fun. You're going to be a lot less, stre- you know, a lot more stress-free. You're probably gonna end up having more success because I think too many times as whitetail hunters, we're listening to too much BS and We should just go with our gut and try to be around where deer are, and that's ultimately. trust <laughs> I me mean, it's kind of simple. Yeah. So like, I just think... break, break out of that rut, man. Break out of that rut. No yeah. fun to be in a rut. Really not fun. I mean, I was in it at one point too, and I, I mean, I remember talking about just like doing a lot more
1: fishing. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like glad I never gave up and did eventually break out kind of the rut that I was in, you know. Yeah. Well, Zach, thanks. Um, we do want to, you know, give you guys, everybody needs to go. If you're listening or watching and you haven't checked out the hunting public, you need to do so now. Most of you probably have because uh, they're one of the best uh, educational, entertaining, you know, hunting, fishing, outdoors, um, you know, things out there right now uh zach what's your all's uh, social media handles uh
2: the hunting you can find us under the hunting public on every platform we're on so youtube amazon uh, facebook instagram twitter uh if there's something else that i can't remember <laughs> it's under the hunting <laughs> public as well just everything hunting
1: <laughs> keep it simple huh well yeah all right, Zach, we, we appreciate it so much, um, and, and thanks for all you guys do. We'll be tuning in for the deer tour uh, upcoming here this year. So once again, thanks to Zach Ferenbaugh of the Hunting Public,
0: everybody. Right, thank,
2: thanks to you guys as well. I enjoyed it.
0: Appreciate it, Zach. Yeah, no
1: problem. All right, folks, we're back here, and we're going to wrap up this edition of the Aaron Outdoors podcast. We've talked to Zach Farrenbaugh of the Hunting Public Bread. He had a lot of great insight and a lot of great conversation. We could have talked for hours with him.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, He's very, it's very good to listen to people like that. It's got experience traveling, hunting, all over the place. He's seen a lot of different scenarios, and and they kill a lot of big deer, Blake. So, you know, they're they're very good at what they do, and... uh, if you, if you haven't check them out they're great but we we certainly appreciate them uh, taking some time with us this afternoon definitely we do want to remind you guys before we head out here today uh,
1: the sponsor of today's episode of the air and outdoors air and outdoors uh, podcast Gray's lawn and landscape LLC hunter hunter gray two seven zero five six six zero six three two mowing and uh, landscaping tree work and cleanup they have uh free estimates and they are fully insured so you definitely want to give hunter gray a call at 270-566-0632 and with that brett we're out of here for today Uh, we want to thank once again zach Fairnball of the hunting public for joining us uh, for today's chat and we will catch you all next time on the air outdoors podcast
3: see ya